you would find Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. And as is our practice, if you're able, I'll ask you to please stand as an expression of honor and respect for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. And they, referring to the first Christians, the first church, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We're grateful that we have God's word. Would you pray with me before we're seated? Father, we come to you in prayer once more before we turn our full attention to your word, asking that you would help us to understand it, to receive it, to be changed and molded by it. Help me to serve your people well. Help us to grow into your people through the preaching of your word. It's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we are trying to clarify what it means to be the church. We've talked a lot about what the church is, what Jesus has done for us, who he is, and now we're focusing on what are we supposed to do? What actions are we supposed to be devoting ourselves to? So today we're going to look at what you might deem step one in being the church We must devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We must devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. It's inescapable how central teaching and learning is to the church. Now, I don't know what connotations spring to mind when you think about teaching and lessons and sermons and learning and studying. It may not all be positive. I'm not sure what your background is. Some of you are bored right now while I am teaching and you're listening. But it's just an inescapable fact. Teaching and learning are at the heart of the church. It's at the heart of the Great Commission. Remember, Jesus commissioned his disciples, go therefore on my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. It's at the heart of the pastor's calling and elders' calling. We don't have elders, uh, but the Bible does. And elders are called to teach. It's one of the main things that we're, we're to be about, church leaders. Um, you read through the New Testament and the letters and probably the greatest danger that the early apostles, the apostles were afraid of for the church wasn't, persecution and trouble from the outside and that the culture would change and become inhospitable to Christianity, the greatest danger was false teaching from the inside. The teaching in the church is really, really important. 
We really can't move on and devote ourselves to any other endeavors until we are fully devoted to the teaching. It's the pipeline. The teaching is the pipeline for the word of God, the words of life, the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. And for all of God's practical instruction about how to live and how to deal with you know, emotional trouble and family things. And it's all through teaching. That is the pipeline. If we remove teaching from the church, the church deflates and it loses its meaning, its value, its cargo. It loses its purpose. Okay, so I hope you're getting the sense teaching and learning is important to you if you're going to be the church. We don't want the stream to dry up. The stream of life-giving water runs dry when teaching runs dry. And then we're just a bunch of people organized doing a bunch of stuff and there's no new life. No salvation. If we do everything else wonderfully, but we do poorly with the teaching and learning, it's all for nothing. If we have the, the, the greatest musical worship in America, if, if, if our PowerPoint is run flawlessly, if our boards run with the efficiency of the best corporations, if we have ministry to the poor that, that surpasses you know, World Vision and, and these other agencies, those things are all fine, but they have no eternal significance without the teaching. So we must devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. I'm not just saying that because I like teaching and I like reading and I like learning. I mean, some of us have personalities that do not like those things and I understand that, but it's just a fact. This is central. So we will, as we're trying to be the church, we will devote ourselves to the teaching. So that's what this sermon is about. And I have three questions I'm going to try to answer. The first one is, what is the apostles' teaching? The second one is, what does it mean to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? And the third one is, what must we do now in response to these things? So question number one, you may have wondered, what is the apostles' teaching? Uh, to figure out what that means, it is important that it's the apostles' teaching. Every word in scripture is important. To figure out what that means, we need to figure out where this teaching came from. So if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see Jesus does a lot of teaching. And his teaching astonished the people who heard it. I mean, they heard Jesus teach and they were, the Bible uses the word astonished many times. Now, why were they so astonished? Was it because he was such a dynamic teacher? Was it because he was so interesting? Was it because of all the brilliant parables he used? All those things are true. I'm sure he was interesting. I'm sure, I mean, his parables were brilliant. But that's not what astonished the people. The people who heard Jesus' teaching were astonished because he taught as one who has authority. That word authority is very important to understand what this apostle's teaching means. I want to give you one example of that. In Mark chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, this is just one representative example of how people are astonished at his authority. And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So there was tons of teaching going around, but he taught in a different way. It was different from all the other teaching. 
He had this authority that was just astonishing. That authority is what I want you to keep your mind pinned to as we figure out what this apostle's teaching is. So here's how it works. We're going to flip to a lot of Bible passages. I hope your fingers are nimble this morning. Or you can just listen and write down what they are and look later to make sure I'm not lying to you. But here's how this works. I'm going to trace through a couple of scriptures to show you how this apostle's teaching was handed to us. And it's going to be important for you to understand. So Jesus taught with astonishing authority. Where did he get that teaching from? He says in John chapter 7, 14 through 17. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? And Jesus did not come from Harvard. He came from a, a backwoods little small town. And yet he taught with the authority of God himself. So they, were, they marveled. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Jesus wanted them to know that this was not some man's teaching. Jesus, the Son of God, wanted people to know it's not even just the Son of God's teaching. It is God's teaching. You know, the Father gave everything to Jesus, his Son, and he gave him the teaching. And did you see how central the authority was? He wanted them to understand this is the authorized divine teaching. It's authoritative. Okay, so Jesus is pouring out this authoritative teaching. Everybody's just blown away by it. And then in the famous Great Commission, Matthew 28, you, know, you guys remember that well. We won't have to flip there because we're going to flip to so many. Do you remember what he bases the Great Commission on? You know, he tells them, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. But he says, go therefore. Do you remember what the therefore was based on? His authority. Actually, you should flip to it. We've got plenty of time, right? Y'all don't have anywhere to be. Matthew 28, uh, starting at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, the disciples, all authority has been given to me. Okay, so that's the intro to the Great Commission about the authority. Every, all the Great Commission, everything that we do as a church is based on this authority that Jesus has. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples, baptize, and teach based on authority. Okay? Now, that's a big task, teaching the people to obey everything I've commanded. I mean, do you think the disciples were taking notes? Do you think, um, you know, they were scratching their heads thinking, man, I should, I wish I had taken notes. I wish I had had my tape recorder with me. I don't know if I remember every single thing Jesus said. How did they remember so well to write these biographies, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John? How did they do that? I mean, I'm sure that you remember everything I've commanded you as your pastor, right? I've only been with you a little longer than Jesus was with, was with his guys. There's no way you can remember all the stuff I've been saying. And he was with them, you know, every day, all day long, teaching and exemplifying. Let me take you to another interesting passage. 
I'm going to try to find it in my notebook instead of my Bible. John 14. Look at John 14, 26. I want the pages to be falling out of your Bibles by the time this sermon's over. John 14, 26. Well, we'll start at 25. These things I've spoken to you. He's talking to his disciples. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. He's telling them there's going to be a time that I'm not going to physically be here with you anymore. God's given me all this authority and I teach with this authority now, but I'm not always going to be here. And then 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Okay, so Jesus has been teaching with this authority that's astonishing. And he tells the disciples, I'm I'm about to pass this baton on to you. And you are to go make disciples and teach them everything I've taught you. Or specifically, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And I wonder if they remembered back to what he said a little while back when he said, I've got to go, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to teach you everything. And he's going to bring to your remembrance everything you need to know. See, it's that supernatural enabling that made Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John possible. That's why we can rely on those. They didn't just have great memories. They were normal guys like us. The Holy Spirit enabled them to record it, and the Holy Spirit enabled them to transfer it on to the early church. Okay? So the reason I went through all these steps is I need you to see that the fact that the the first church was devoted to the apostles' teaching is that they were devoted to the authoritative teaching of Jesus Christ as pumped through them with the Holy Spirit's power. Okay, they weren't devoted to the apostles' teaching because the apostles were such great teachers. They weren't devoted to the apostles' teaching even just because they were the closest ones with Jesus. The apostles were just vessels. What they were devoted to was the teaching. The apostles were the ones who had the authoritative word of God. They were the ones teaching with authority now. Okay, that's what they were devoted to. So we will devote ourselves to the authoritative teaching. Now, we don't have the apostles here today. But what we do have is that same teaching that they recorded in the New Testament. That's why we're so Bible-focused. Okay, we don't worship the Bible. This isn't God, but this is our source for the authoritative teaching. So if we want the word of God, if we want the words of life, if we want the gospel, the good news, if we want the practical instructions on how to live in this world, this is our source, our only source. This is the only remaining pipeline of God's authoritative teaching. Okay, are you with me on that? This is really important groundwork. You know, oh, I have here, what is the content of the teaching? I've kind of already jumped the gun on that. But you look through the Bible for that phrase, the teaching or the apostles teaching. And it's equated with the words of life in Acts 520. Like I said, in case you want to write this down to see if I'm telling you the truth. It's equated with the word of God in Acts 1535, 1811 and 13.5. Elsewhere, it... it, um, The context of how it's used in other passages is clear that it is the news, the gospel about Jesus Christ. It is all the commands of Jesus Christ. It is all the practical instructions that Jesus left with us. So 
The apostles' teaching is all of that. And that's what the early church was devoted to. That's what we must be devoted to. So what this means, real quick point of application for you, and this is a scary thing for me to invite you to do, you need to scour my preaching and teaching to make certain that it is biblical. You need to ruthlessly weigh every word that I teach and preach to make sure it is scriptural and not Matt Broadway's ideas. Now, I don't want you to stand up in the middle of my sermon and shout wrong. Sit on it and make sure and come to me later. And I promise you, I will repent where I'm wrong and correct it the next time I'm up here. It's bound to happen. Okay, I'm just a man. I pray, I pray up majorly before I stand up here. But it's bound to happen that I might teach something that doesn't quite align perfectly with scripture. And I need you to take seriously your responsibility to catch it. I do not want to become a false teacher. I do not want you to be led astray by false teaching. I've told you before, I don't think false teachers all know that they're false teachers. I think most of them probably have self-justified where they are and they probably think they're good teachers. So I think I'm an okay teacher, but what if I'm a false teacher? You know, some of you, what you see of me is this. You don't see me at home. You don't see me through the week. How do you know I'm not a false teacher? You can't know unless you're in here. Now, one day I may not be with you anymore. Uh, I may die. I may, you know, God may rip me out of here. You may get tired of me and bring in a newer model. Whoever replaces me, whenever that time comes, Make sure they are tethered tight to the scripture. Uh, Really, almost above all else. I mean, there are other qualifications, but make sure they are tied tight to the scripture. So I'm inviting you, nitpick what you hear from me. And, and, okay, Sunday school teachers, you didn't know that this was going to happen, but and your Sunday school teachers and your house-to-house folks. We've got to be careful about the teaching. We've got to take it seriously. Okay, now I don't mean get combative with your Sunday school teachers. They're like me, they're not perfect. But maybe take it seriously enough to after class or through the week email and say, hey, you said such and such, but these verses lead me to believe that maybe that's not quite right. Can you help me understand? Be humble about it. But do take it seriously. Um, Okay, let's go a step further with this before I move on. Scour the teaching and preaching of whoever it is that you may listen to on the radio or watch on the television. The the television and the radio pump out a lot of false teaching. Okay? And I'm going to name one name because he's the only one I've had time to actually research myself. Because I don't listen to a lot of these folks. Okay? This may make you angry with me. Try to receive it with humility and, and think about it. And I could be wrong, but think about it. Joel Osteen used to concern me, and now I'm fairly well convinced that he's a false teacher. And I know many of our people sit under his teaching. And I'm a bad shepherd if he is a wolf and his teeth are sinking into you and I don't say anything. I think he's a false teacher. I need you, if you disagree, to think through it scripturally and see for yourself 
Here are some of the things that I believe he teaches and I've seen on his website. I tried to listen to his podcast and honestly, I just couldn't take it. One of the teachings I've heard from him and others like him, that the atonement promises physical and financial and relational well-being. It doesn't. Uh, That if you sow a good seed, if you sow a seed and give to a ministry, God will multiply that money and give you back even more. That promise is not scriptural that that I can find. That what you need is to tap into yourself, your potential. That you have within you what you need. That's pretty much the antithesis of everything that the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that ourselves are sinking ships and we've got to get out and we've got to get Jesus. In Jesus is what we need. I have a quote and you may think I'm picking on him, but I'm just trying to show you how this works, how false teaching works. And I'm telling you, I will publicly repent if I'm found to be wrong here, but I, I just don't think I am. It's not, it's not my nature to, to go after people by name. I'm much more of a mild, timid fellow than that, but this is serious. So here's a quote that I think encapsulates why I believe he and some of his cronies are false teachers. He says, I believe this is in one of his books. When we believe in God's son, Jesus Christ, good so far, and, uh uh-oh, we need Jesus, period. There's no and. Okay, but when we believe in God's son, Jesus Christ, and believe in ourselves, that's when our faith comes alive. When we believe we have what it takes, we focus on our, our possibilities. That's just not the way the Bible lays it out. We're not supposed to be looking inside ourselves for our possibilities. We're not supposed to add to Jesus' work for us, our work for him to find blessings. And we're not supposed to use God as an ends to a means, a means to an end to get more money, more health, more relational blessing. God is no, no means to no end. He is the end. And here's one more quote, and I'm going to leave him alone after this. This was in an interview. He says, I'm not called to explain every minute detail, uh, facet of scripture or to expound on deep theological doctrines or disputes that don't touch where real people live. My gifting is to encourage and to challenge and to inspire. Okay. Now, no, not everyone is called to expound on the deep, complicated facets of God's word. But pastors and preachers are certainly called to do that. Now, some people are given the gift of encouragement, and they're good at just, they're good at just helping people keep going because it's hard. And that's one of the reasons I think that he's so dangerous. He is a good encourager. You just listen to the tone of his voice, and you feel better. And that's, it's good to be encouraged. But if you use that good of encouragement to wrap around a poisonous false teaching, it can be damning and people can miss Jesus altogether. Okay, so beware of who you're listening to, including me, including your Sunday school teachers, including whoever, whatever books you're reading. Beware of false teachers because the teaching is centrally important to being the church. We must devote ourselves to the authoritative teaching, the word of God. Now, so that answers that first question. 
what is the apostles' teaching? Second question, what is devotion to the apostles' teaching? What, is, what does it mean to be devoted to a teaching? I mean, when you see that, do you picture them, you know, with their backpacks on and they're going to Jesus University and taking notes on their laptop and they're studying flashcards to memorize things and they're taking exams? Is that what it means to be devoted to the teaching? You remember our definition of devotion? Some of you weren't here last week, so there's no way you do. I'll tell you. That Greek word translated uh, devoted, they devoted themselves. Get back to it. It can be translated to be earnest toward, to persevere, to be constantly diligent, to, to attend assiduously to, which means with great care, to give oneself to continually, to continue in, to wait on continually. These believers and what we must become were continually giving themselves to the teaching, the authoritative teaching of God's word. Now, this involves learning and living. Okay, it's like a bicycle. It needs both wheels to work, learning and living. They weren't just in a classroom setting taking in instruction. They were living what they were hearing. Now, this, if, if we will... If we will stop attending Sunday school and start devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, it will make a great deal of difference. If we will stop coming and hearing a sermon and start devoting ourselves to the teaching, it will make a big difference. It's different than attending lessons and devoting yourself to the teaching contained in those lessons. So I'm not saying don't come to Sunday school, don't come to to the service. You need to discern, are you just checking off the box, went to church this week, or are you truly devoted to the teaching? Devoting ourselves to the teaching will help us avoid a couple of common mistakes. And maybe you fall into one of these categories. Uh, One common mistake we Christians and church people have regarding the word is just contented ignorance. We don't know the Bible, we don't read the Bible, and we're fine with it. Nobody says that out loud, but many of us live that way. We get comfortable. Maybe you do hear a sermon every week or every couple weeks. It's not the same as devoting ourselves to the teaching. I think many people fall in that category. I'm not saying all of you, but just in general in the church, the broad church. Devoting ourselves to the teaching will help us avoid the mistake of over-mystifying the Bible I'm pretty certain that's not a word, but it works for what I'm trying to do here. Many Christians tend to over-mystify the scripture as though it's a magic thing and that if we can come close to it, the magic will wear off on us and we'll be able to fly into our life. And it's not, it is a miracle book, but it's not a this mystical, vague, magic, you know, unicorn type creature. It's It is a book that contains words and sentences and paragraphs and things that need to be understood with clarity. You know, if you got an email from your boss and the email included, it was a long email and it told you about, you know, you've done a good job with this. Uh, Here's where we're headed next as a company. And this is your part you're going to play. I need you to do this, this, and this. And keep in mind these things that are true. Our schedule looks like this. 
uh, we messed this up last time on such and such project, blah, 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 blah. You get this email from your boss, you print it out, you take it home every morning with your cup of coffee, you read a couple lines of it and fold it back up and uh, you know, maybe you take out a couple lines and post it on your mirror in your bathroom. You might emblazon a couple lines of it on a t-shirt or a coffee mug, but you ignore the content of it and completely disregard what he said for you to be doing. When he comes to meet with you, is he going to be pleased? No, you say, why didn't you, why didn't you do these things I asked you to do in that email? And you say, well, yeah, I didn't do it, but I memorized it. Yeah, I didn't do it, but I did read it every morning. Sometimes twice a day, I read that email. Well, what good is that going to do if we're not going to respond to it in clear ways? This is a clear book. I know some of you may think that doesn't seem true, especially after we spent so much time in Romans and it was difficult. There's real truth in here that, that really calls for real response in real ways. So don't over-mystify it. It's a book. Read it. Study it. Okay? This can uh, also protect us from merely studying it. When I, um, when it became clear that I was going to go to Bible college, I remember a guy from my home church approached me one, I think it was a Sunday evening service, and said, make me one promise. Don't let the Bible become just another textbook. Because when you go to school for these things, you have to study the Bible almost like a textbook. And it's easy to fall into just, just studying it like an academic exercise. And that's no good. It's not about information. It's about transformation. So it involves learning and living. It does involve learning. We are going to have to apply ourselves to learning the scripture. But it also involves living. It also involves responding to it in real ways in real life. So if, you're, if your learning isn't working... If right now you're bored to death sitting under another sermon, if you try to read your Bible like you know you're supposed to, but it's dry as dirt, if you know you, you don't want to come to Sunday school honestly because there's nothing, doesn't seem like it's there, anything there for you, maybe the problem is you're not trying to live it out. You know, learning without living is a one-wheeled bicycle. You know, it's, it's only going to be interesting to the same level that you're living out what you're learning. So if you are trying to learn and it's just not getting you anywhere, maybe you need to start trying to apply it to your life more specifically. Now, if you're just trying to live the Christian life and that's not working, it may be that you need to add more learning to your living. And I don't know what your next step is going to be. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So we know what the apostles teaching is. We know a little bit more about what it looks like to devote ourselves to the teaching. So what must we do now? And this is going to get hopefully real practical so what must we do now? What, what are you going to do now? If, if you've gotten bored and I've lost you, come back to me. Come back to me now. And we've got to think about what we're going to do. Remember, we're going to do now. We're going to move forward together and act as the church. What should we do? Okay, so I think it starts with you and your Bible. Okay, this is where we have the authoritative teaching. Um, I'm not a big fan of the magic eight ball approach to scripture reading where you shake it and you open up to a random passage and you hope that that's a good verse for you for the day. I don't recommend that. I'm actually not a huge fan of the 91.9 read through the Bible in a year plan 
for me because that's too much scripture. I can't, I can't take anything in when I'm reading that fast. Now, some people can, some people thrive on that. I think a better use for something like that, a Bible reading schedule, is to be a guide so you know where you're going next, not so much a uh, schedule that you've got to, because then it can, can become a duty and it can become a job. And um, Here's what I would recommend. Okay, now this is just Pastor Matt's recommendation. This isn't something you're going to find scripturally. Don't email me saying, well, that wasn't scriptural. This is just a recommendation. Consider it. Um, some of you are already taking in scripture directly from your Bibles, and that's good. Some of you maybe aren't because it seems overwhelming and it's hard and you don't, you don't fancy yourself an academic or much of a reader. Uh, for you, I would encourage you to select just one book of the Bible. There's 60, 66 books in here. I would encourage you to select just one of them. I'd point you toward the New Testament for this, one of the shorter letters maybe, and just make that your book. And just stay in that one book and try to just sort of master that book. Take your time, read through it, write down the things you don't understand. Do the legwork, the research, try to figure out what it's saying. I really like Rick Warren's three-step method of Bible study. If you don't know what to do, uh, it's three questions to ask of the text you're reading. What does it say? No, it's what, so what, now what? So what is it saying? Why is it important? And now what are you going to do in response? Okay, so if, if, you don't, if you can't get any traction in studying your scripture, maybe just use that simple guideline. You know, read it. What's it saying? That's where you're going to have to put in some legwork and research. And there's all kinds of resources online um, and some others I'm about to mention. What, so what, now what? Maybe that would be an easy way to get started. Um, and meditate on it. The Bible talks a lot about meditating on God's word, just chewing it up in your mind over time. You know, these, these sermons that I preach don't just like plop down out of heaven. I mean, some of you are not surprised at that. And they don't plop down out of my mind either. It's a, it's a lengthy process and it's, it is very meditative. You know, many of the connections between different passages come together while I'm driving the kids to school. Or while I'm trying to sleep at night, I'll wake up and because and, it's a constant meditation on what is this passage saying? What does that phrase mean? Why did he word it like that? How does that correspond with this similar passage? That, that's meditation. So, I mean, I literally have to keep a pad by my bedside and in the van beside me so I can keep it going. It's a, it's a constant, continual devotion to the word. Maybe that's your next step. Move in toward that. Um, another resource you have for learning and living the teaching is, this is going to sound egotistical, but your pastor. And that is why God gives churches pastors. You know, when I first got here, I was getting a lot of input about what my priorities should look like. And so I, it was confusing because many of them were contradictory. If I listened to what everybody wanted me to be doing, I would, I don't know what would happen. Something probably bad would happen. So I spent a lot of time studying the pastoral epistles, the letters that Paul wrote to pastors. And I've pretty systematically pulled out every single thing he told them to be doing and put bunched them into categories. It's, I mean, it took like a year and it was overwhelming. The, the, the main two things were be exemplary and teach. You know, watch yourself so you don't become a false teacher and, a, and stay in the faith 
and teach, teach, teach. Teach through preaching, teach through counseling, teach through rebuking people, teach through everyday conversations. Teach, teach, teach. Okay, that's, this is what I am here for. So if you're trying to read through the scripture and you don't understand something, email me, Facebook me. I, I would love to interact with you about that. That's my whole purpose of being here. You know, if you're struggling through something and you want to know what the Bible says about it, come, come to me. You know, come, it, it might feel like counseling and that's fine. It's wise to have a multitude of counselors. Okay, I'm here to help you learn and live God's word. Um, another resource you have are teachers. You know, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit has supernaturally gifted many people in the church to be teachers. And we have some here. Some of them are already teaching. I think there's more. I think more of you should grow into official teaching positions. And uh, our schedule now, every quarter we refresh the Sunday school and there's a chance for you to jump in every quarter. So if you think that you might be gifted to teach, come talk to me about it. Sunday school is a really good pipeline for learning and living. It's kind of gone out of vogue a little bit. You know, a lot of modern churches, newer churches don't do Sunday school. They do more of a small group thing, which we try to do that too. But Sunday school is really helpful. It's a good place to air out your questions. It's a good place to bounce off your meditation with other people. It's a good pipeline. Uh, We usually have about 50% of us participate in Sunday school. And it might be that that's your next step. Go get involved in a Sunday school class. Uh, Books, there's lots of good books. At the Book Exchange Library, go borrow one. I I can't vouch for every single book because a lot of them come in that I haven't had a chance to look through. Again, you check them by scripture. Podcasts, I listen to a lot of those. Lots of good preachers out there. I'd be happy to recommend some. There are many pipelines of good teaching that you can take in. The last one may surprise you, but another good source of teaching, the teaching for you, is each other, one another. Let me read to you a, a verse about that. It's Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. So that's a call to all of us. Let the word of the Lord dwell richly in us so that we can teach and admonish one another. So a lot of God's work in teaching his church comes through the relationships, the horizontal friendships and family relationships within the church. This is why house to house is a good idea. Now, you know, house to house didn't really skyrocket like I had hoped. I hoped everybody would be a part of one of these groups. And it's maybe not for everybody. But if you're disconnected from your brothers and sisters, you're not going to get that horizontal teaching effect. And house to house is a good way to facilitate it. And some of you may need to host a group. Come talk to me if we think you should. Some of you just need to go get involved in either Ron's group or the Wednesday night group here or the one that meets after church here. Now you may notice I haven't introduced any new program ideas. Before we really move forward, we've got to get this. We've got to get this. There's no point moving forward until we get this. 
So we will devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, the authoritative teaching of the word of God. We will give ourselves continually to it in practical ways, real ways. And we're going to pray right now. And my prayer is that God will be revealing to you some specific, clear next step for you, what you need to do to devote yourself to the teaching. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us this time together to study it together. Lord, I pray that you would cancel out anything I've said that's not aligned with your word. Father, please show each and every one of us our next step to be more devoted to the authoritative teaching of your word. If we're learning a lot, but we're not living it, convict us of that and help us to repent and to start living in light of what we know to be true. If we're living a lot, but not learning anything from your word, or convict us of that and help us to repent and help us to submit to teaching. Well, we want to be the church and we want to submit to your diagram of the church. In Jesus' name, amen.